I think that's the most important thing is just to remember that we're humans and we're the same. We have the same needs, the same desires. And whichever way we choose to explain that and whatever words we want to use at the the foundation and the core of that, we're the same, you know. We all want to be connected with God. We can call it nature, we can call it spirituality, we can call it whatever, but there's a desire for connection. Stop lying to yourself. Done deal. I don't care whether you do morning pages, read another 50 books, become somebody, you don't need money. You are it already. Stop, and the invitation is stop lying to yourself. You are magnificent, you are You are enough, you are a miracle, you are a unique expression of divine force. And I'm not here giving you some woo-woo, come and meet me, I'm who I am now as I am everywhere. You are it. There's never been another expression of life as you. And what more do you need to pat yourself on the back to go, oh my Lord, I'm worth, I'm, I'm amazing, I'm contributing here. I'm, just by being me, I'm enough. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Grassy Hopper podcast. This podcast brings you inspirational conversations with people who have a story to tell and some wisdom to share in connection with the values that we hold there at the Grassy Hopper. A very wide range of subjects so far we've touched on permaculture, traveling, living your authentic self and this episode is going to go into probably a little bit of all of those things but very much centered around transparency and our our inner emotional life and how that contributes to us living a more nourished life. So I'd like to welcome Simon Paul Sutton. Hey. Hi there. Hello everybody. Uh, Simon is a very good friend of mine and he's also been very connected to the journey of the Grassy Hopper, bringing some of his workshops and um, wisdom into our desire to create a conscious work culture. So Simon's, you know, a very good friend of mine, but also very connected to the Grassy Hopper. So it's a real pleasure to finally get him on the podcast. Mm. Yeah, totally. So Sai, obviously I know you very well, but uh, probably some of our listeners don't know you at all. <laughs> so I think it'd be really nice to just start with a little bit of your story that ended up in you kind of making this commitment to live a more transparent life. Mm. Yeah, great. Okay, so maybe it's good if I just take you back as one of the ways that I describe the journey that I've been on, or my hero's, one of the parts of the hero's journey is... Um, a term that we use is from burglar to Buddha. So if I take you back really to the days of being a burglar, and uh, but if you don't know what a burglar is, it's a thief that steals from people's houses. And that was really my, <clears throat> let's say, my, my main profession for a number of years. And that, that grew out of actually uh, petty shoplifting when I was 13 and 14, uh, growing up... Um, and travelling through town where I lived, uh, from school to town, and we used to end up in town at the after school, you know, playing around as you do as you sort of young teenagers. And really, it just started by stealing chocolate and sweets for friends, and going into a shop and sometimes buying one item, you know, and taking another because um, clearly I didn't believe there was enough value in what I was buying, so I thought I should take take some more on, <laughs> on the way. Um, and joking aside, you know, that, that actually sort of just started out like a little bit of fun. 
Um, but I grew up on a council estate, and I don't know if you have those in Malta. Do you have? Would they be called council estates or deprived? You know, sort of lower government uh, housing. Government housing. Yeah. That's exactly. So, sort of a government housed estate. And I had a really what I felt was a super fun upbringing in, in a sense of my mum was amazing and she looked after three boys, me, my elder brother and my younger brother. Um, my dad uh, and my stepdad were pretty much absent. My father left me when I was one years, uh, almost one years old. My elder brother would have been almost six. And then I had a stepfather and he was around for a while. So we had, we had a sort of father figure, but then he, he became absent as well. And we had sort of different uh, uh, role models along the way. But my role model really became my, my elder brother and his group of friends. <clears throat> and of course, they were into some, you know, criminal affairs uh, in alignment to smoking marijuana, dealing drugs and um, uh, crime on different levels, from stealing car stereos to, you know, uh, petty crimes and then also some uh, organised crimes and bigger crimes. So that's really pretty much the sort of path you could say that I jumped into. Um, so if we sort of fast forward that your listeners to um, from the age of 16, I started driving illegally because you couldn't drive um, a car until you were 17. And basically looking back now, if I showed you pictures, I thought I was a full grown man. And I was 16 years old. And when I look at photographs now, I'm like, oh, my word. <laughs> a little weasel of a boy. <laughs> um, and he basically, you know, thought that he had arrived and he was hanging out with his big guys and, and he, was, he was somebody. You know, the identity was thriving. My ego was huge. And I had, I had something to prove. And in this sort of gang environment that I became in, it was very much about that banter, proving yourself, being somebody being on top so you're not at the bottom, making sure you're not in as much lack as the next person because you know, the environment was very much based around lack, scarcity, uh, domestic violence, a um, lot of conflict, lot of, just a lot of um, survival, yeah, you could say. <clears throat> so from the age of 16, I was invited to start uh, doing some, um, let's say, more organised crimes. Um, and from the age of 16 until uh, 18, at the end of my 18th year, um, I was burgling uh, houses on a regular basis. Um, so I often say to people, because they sometimes put, try to put it in context and say, oh, well, what, you know, you burgled a house or two? No, we're talking, you know, thousands of houses. Yeah. So it's not like... Um, you just, it, it was a profession. It wasn't yeah. just a bit of fun, it, it became yeah. your life. It became my life, yeah, for a long time. And then what happened is that life, that environment, that gang environment, you know, pretty much consumed me on all levels. So, of course, I wanted to be like the older guys, hence why I was driving before I was could. I was selling drugs, large amounts of marijuana um, and hashish at the time um, on large quantities. And I was, I was pretty much, you know, this, this, just this hustling and I didn't really know the world I was in, but that was pretty much it, what I was in. So um, fast forwarding, at 18, I got um, convicted of two crimes and taken to court. One was for nine ounces of marijuana and another was for um, being pulled over in my car and having stolen property in the car. And those two, senten those two sentences got me probation. And, and then from probation, I got community service and then I got jail. I got a short jail sentence. And I say short because it was short and I was very lucky because had I had been convicted for the crime 
um, in the Crown Court, where I was actually given community service and probation, if I had been committed in Crown Court for the fifth, which happened to be a magistrate's court, I don't know, again, in Malta, if it works like this, but you have a magistrate's court and a Crown Court. Magistrate's court can only give you 12 months imprisonment. Crown Court can give you life. And not saying I would have got life, but I would have definitely, I felt, maybe got two to three years because I have friends that got two to three years in jail for a lesser crime than mine. And I actually had a good solicitor, thankfully, and I uh, got four months sentence. And what the judge said is he said, look, this is a slap on the wrist because you don't seem to be getting the message. And it's like, I'm going to give you four months. So he sent me, he sent me the, uh, to prison for four months. So I actually only served nine weeks in the, in the end, which for some people is a long time. And for in the sort of crime world, that's quite a short sentence. You know, my friends were sort of going in and out, some of them for months on end as almost like a little holiday break. Um, <laughs> I, say, I say that, I say you're laughing, but it, it does become that because like your environment can become your familiarity, right? So you just all of a sudden think that's the norm, pop in, get told off, come back out and, and, and actually commit the same crimes. And that's, go on, please. No, I think we've spoken a bit of, um, about your time there and actually there's a lot of mirroring in jail of the crime world. <laughs> right. And actually, and society as a whole, and that was, that was actually a good point you bring up because I was about to say that in that time in, in this uh, remand centre, I was asked, big, I, had to, I asked myself big questions, which, which were, I know some people that keep, constantly keep coming back. Do I want to keep coming back? And what I made a decision whilst I was in there that this isn't what I want to continually do. I don't want to be a criminal. Um, so that I mean how did you get to that because that's you know from being all like you know this is my identity got to prove myself that I'm the biggest you know criminal and that I'm cool and you know like every teenager will want to be cool and be accepted to suddenly say like I don't want this anymore must have been quite a massive leap yeah it was a massive leap and and that actually came from um, I think a sense that I've mentioned this a few times that I just knew there was more There was like this, that I knew there was more than what I was doing. And I'm quite an observant person. And I could see that it's as much as, you know, the world of crime may be glamorized in films, as we know, and glamorized as some great thing. It's actually not a very nice environment to be in. The people are, you know, where you're, there's no truthfulness. You're paranoid constantly. You're always in fight or flight. So you're, if for people listening, fight or flight is you know, the, our natural mechanism of fear where we're releasing stress into our body and we're either ready to run like crazy or we're ready to stay and fight. And you're always watching your back and you're, you're just, you know, the environment is, let's say, hostile. It's the best way to put it. And, and the, you know, and you don't really, everyone's talking about everybody. Yeah, everyone's like, you know, you, I could be talking to you right now. Like, yeah, great, nice to see you. And then later on talking, behind, yeah, yeah, I was really as early a nightmare that was. You know, whatever, all right? It's like, no, there's this constant back and forth. You don't really know who's got your back. Although that's why you find, let's say, support in gang. Because you think that your little close-knit gang have got your back. And to some degree they do. But still within that, there's a lot of, you know, fear. But the decision came from, like, there must be more to life than this. And I, and I need to make some changes. But the, just to really maybe say for your listeners, the hardest thing is, is you make a choice and then breaking the habits like you just described, Yasmin, breaking the habits and the addictions that I, were, I was then in. That was what I had to face. And that, that wasn't easy. So that actually took me many years. And I mean many years. And I don't, I don't say this to dishearten anybody out there, but you have to understand that old habits die hard. So actually breaking out of the circles that I was in, that 
you got to remember, I, I had only been away for like nine weeks. Nothing changed when I came, come out of um, Vermont. So when I came out, everyone's just like, great. And guess what happened? I got more status. Because now I've been to jail. I never grasped, and grasping means like I never snitched on anybody or, you know, gave away any of our sort of gang details, <laughs> as you say, um, or what we get up to. And I served time. So it was a pat on the back. Everyone's one like, great. Stripe. One stripe. Yeah, well done, you did good. All right, now what? And then, of course, you come into that environment, you don't know anything different, and you're just straight back in, you know, smoking a joint, hanging out with the same circles. Hey, you want to come and do a little crime? And, and I was just, I started to feel this real resistance to do crimes. I did continue to do some crimes, but there was a real reluctance, almost, and, and almost like a, a new fear. It wasn't like a fear, because I was addicted to, to the adrenaline and the fear of doing crime. Then I started to become almost scared of the fear of doing crime. Does that make sense? So that was the sort of change for me. So I was going through this emotional shift. So moving on a little bit now in, into like 1920. When I, uh, the, um, in my 19th year, beginning of my 19th year, I decided that, you know what? I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be famous. <laughs> I'm going to be James Bond, right? <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to be James Bond. And of course, you know, I'm 18, you know, 18 years old and I told a few friends and they were like, yeah, that's a good idea, Si, go, you know, go for it, you could do it. And some were just like, well, what's he, what's he on about James Bond? Is it going to be James Bond? Going to be an actor? But I did, I will say this now, I did have a few uh, correct, you know, uh, friends around me who were very supportive. So that's what I did, basically. And maybe without giving all the details of, of that now in this short talk, but one thing I think I'd like to say for people listening is the only reason I, I was able to pull myself out of those circles and cycles that I was in is because I had actually chosen something that gave me more of an elevated emotion, more drive, more excitement, more... Um, more meaning. More meaning. And, and even, uh, yeah, like, yeah, that's it. Meaning, excitement, it gave drive. And so I went on this mission, basically, I started with improvisation, I got myself into a theatre school, and that was a real turning point because all of a sudden people knew I was being serious. So all of a sudden the crime dropped away a little bit, I didn't need to go out in these circles. And you know, and it's weird, I knew I had new friends and I wanted this new thing, but I was also didn't want to leave, you know, I didn't want to leave these circles. And, and you know, I've read, got the, the privilege to read a little bit of the, the first part of your book, and something that fascinated me, which we've talked about in this podcast time and time again, is also that you know, when people around you are invested in your bad habits, right. you know, it happens to us in, in families and whatnot. As we start to kind of have a different uh, life or different, take different actions, people around us kind of feel a bit threatened. Obviously, in a gang, that must have been amplified, you know. Yeah. Well, it was because you, you're very casually like, oh, yeah, kind of dropped away, I moved out of it. But actually, you know, in there was like a massive. Yeah struggle and you must have had to really believe in this vision exactly. of this new life that you wanted to create to, for it to be able to pull you through what I can imagine was quite a hard time. Yeah, well, I'm glad you bring that up because we could just maybe throw in for the listeners because today's about also transparency. Is that, so, for example, in order to leave, my car was smashed up, um, a brick was put through the windscreen, my, mom, my mother's house got uh, the windows smashed, the stairway ripped down, graffitied around the whole house. I had to move my mum away from the, the estate, which actually turned out to be a good thing, but also very challenging at the time. My younger brother got separated from me and my older brother. He got quite stressed at that time because he had to move you know, a, a, an hour and a half away, over 110 miles away to another part where my mum 
my mother's mother lived. Um, I got hit over the head with a shillelagh, which is basically a baton, a hard baton. I got a lot of verbal abuse. We got attacked by an, a, a, a guy with an axe um, who basically, we were just cleaning the car and he came down and two of them, um, two of the people that we know, uh, that we did know, uh, jumped us and there was this uh, attack with uh, an axe. And then it, we had other things where real threats and actually these threats were, were really quite powerful, you know. Um, we the circles that we were in, we know that the person that was really not happy with my choices, you know, he had numerous guns, he had a lot of money, and he he did put a um, he'd already put a gun in my brother's mouth and told him that if he if he if he tries to go against him, he's going to shoot him, um, and that again is a story that played big on my fear because I wanted to leave, and and you know this happened to my brother, this same guy had put an axe in the top of the eye, literally with the back of the axe, had hit another friend of mine in the top of the eye and cut his eye open, almost uh, would have taken his eye out completely had he just been um, a centimetre lower. And that was for knocking his door after 10 o'clock at night. This is a friend that knocked the door after 10 o'clock at night. So the level of violence and the level of fear that was going on within this gang was of a high level. Not of a high level of some that are experiencing this day to day, right? I don't want to make out that it was, but it was still a lot of fear. And actually, yes, that's a good place to bring in because the thing that was the hardest to escape, this is the crazy thing. And maybe your listeners will like this. I was addicted to the sensations of fear. Fear was driving the environment. Fear was driving the people. And fear was driving the crime at the same time. Because guess what? Fear of being nobody, fear of not having money, fear of fear of lack, fear of you know not being somebody, right? Was driving this need to be better. And then at the same time, this fear of wanting to then be better was was so scary to break out of the yeah, can you see that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real, you know, complex, uh, you know, simple, but at the same time, very complex layers of emotional entanglements. Yeah. And, you know, sort of being very aware of your story, I mean, obviously your, your level of intelligence and observation of your time there and the fear and the way it was used to control, etc., etc. You obviously got a lot of wisdom from that, which in a way, a lot of the ways that we live are subtle versions. You know, exactly. That's just amplified of exactly. how we create in our life. And we'll come back to that. Yes. You know, obviously, maybe a little bit later in the story. Yeah. Um, because it's a, great, it's a great point. <clears throat> because actually, you know, it's leading on to the next stage of your life, the acting world. You know, yeah. you, you ended up the lead actor in a... In a film? In my, in my, <laughs> yeah. in my James Bond film. <laughs> yeah, your James Bond film. The last James Bond. <laughs> and, so, and actually you found that... I'm, I'm telling your story please. for you, but it's, it's a, for me it was very beautiful that you ended up in this acting world. You know, you're in this, what, 16 million budget film. You're the lead actor. And you realise that actually in a way you were still in the same environment that you were in, in a crime world to some extent. Right. You know, there's still fear, there's still lies, right. there's still identity, right. control and, and all of this. So maybe yeah. you can no, it's go into more I, I'm really happy that. and that's a great, and I really appreciate that because, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it, it was, it was, you think you're out and you're living a new life and you're a new person and you're a new identity and you go into the uh, society where you're, you know, you're trying to be a better person. You get a job, you're striving to be an actor and you, exactly what Yasmin just said, you realise that, hold up, 
you know, unnoticing these cycles of fear again. Uh, this time it's fear I'm not, I'm rejected, fear I'm not going to get the acting role, fear that somebody's better than me, competition comes in. Uh, you notice in the circles that you're in that everybody's, you know, like Yasmin just said, being dishonest. And the funny thing is, is guess what? The first film, the first television job that I got, I was playing a, a criminal in a jail. Yeah, so we were shooting in a jail. And I was, some of you might know, but there's a, a very famous actor called Sir David uh, Jason. And he was in Only Fools and Horses and a number of, of, of big television uh, programs in the UK. Maybe they screened some of them in Malta, right? And um, I was ended up, when I was younger, I watched him on telly all the time in what was called Only Fools and Horses. And then, all of a sudden, I'm playing a criminal in a prison. He's the lead actor. And I get to beat him up. And I'm beating him up in the prison. And I'm like, and at the, at the moment of going for the audition, I had this moment of truth that hit me. I thought, right, oh no. They, they asked me if I'd been in jail before. And I, I hadn't told anybody about my past at this point. And this is actually a very good point for your listeners. Is I sort of created this new identity. But I couldn't own my past identity. It was really like it was so ashamed. Yeah, I was ashamed of it. And it was haunting me a little bit because I was thinking, you know, I couldn't tell people I'd been a criminal. I'd been a liar. I'd slept with, um, paid for sex. I slept with prostitutes. That I'd smuggled drugs. That I'd been a drug dealer. That I'd stolen cars. That I'd burnt out cars. I mean, the list goes on, right? I'm like, I can't own this, Yasmin. It's like, what? People can't know about this. So as I'm stepping into this new authentic role, let's say, or what I feel is a more honest lifestyle, they say to me, have you ever been in jail before? And in that moment, Yasmin, this was a big turning point for me because in that moment I had this, this happened in like five seconds, but for me it seemed like a minute of me sitting there in front of these four people behind the desk. And I'm like, oh, if I tell them that I've been in jail, they might think I'm a criminal and they won't give me the job. And if I don't tell them I've been in jail and they know I've been in jail then they're going to think I'm a liar. And I'm like, oh my God, what should I do? And I just thought, that, that was a big turning point for me. And I just said, I'm going to tell the truth. And if I don't get a job, who cares? But I'm not going to lie anymore. And I said, yeah, I have been in jail. And I said, I've uh, served a short sentence. And um, yeah, and I felt really vulnerable. And I just felt really exposed for the first time in front of these four people. I didn't even know them, you know, they're just casting me, uh, producers and so on. And, um, yeah, I left there and two days later I got told I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that's a little one. But moving forward, uh, after 15 years of um, being an actor, you know, getting rejection, making some short movies, being on television, being in some commercials, I get the job that Yasmin just told you guys. And when we were laughing, saying the last James Bond, I have to tell you this story because... I, for 15 years, I had visions of me being on billboards and having this lead role and being James Bond in the suit. And... Uh, I got cast in this, it was 19, it was a 19 million pound budget, French movie, it's a French love story based 35,000 years ago. It was a prehistoric movie and I was playing the lead Neanderthal. So I was, <laughs> <laughs> so I was playing, and the funny thing is because this French director made the film, he sort of made it like Romeo Juliet style and this character was like, you know, the hero because he was the hero and his name was Al, just A-O, Al. And, um, and I was like, 15 years Yes, and now I'm like the, the, I've made it. the coolest, <laughs> the coolest Neanderthal that ever lived. And the, fil- the film was called The Last Neanderthal. 
Um, and as I always say to this story, more importantly, this was a great insight into the acting world, into fame, into fortune, my desire for fame and fortune, my desire to be seen, to be recognised. And as Yasmin beautifully said, actually, maybe you, wanna, you can welcome to ask me any questions on this if I'm missing anything. But you said to me um, um, that I started to notice the similarities in the patterns. And what I realised is that I'd become addicted to fame and fortune and the need for fame and fortune and it was all about me, me, me and and my, um, uh, you know, what can I get and and how am I going to be out there and be somebody and then bang, just before this, just before this job come, just before this big job come, I was, you know, it, was, it wasn't a massive budget, I was, I was actually, it was a hundred, I, I was um, priced up as the lead actor, and they, they had 200,000 budget for me, which I didn't realise at the time, and my, my agent negotiated a hundred thousand budget, they took theirs, and I, I ended up getting, um, six, about, after tax, about 68,000, but it was 68,000 that I'd never had for one job, for nine months, travelling to different parts of Europe, depths of caves, peaks of mountains, minus 15 degrees, I'm in loincloths, I'm pumping up my body, everyone's looking after me, I've got people carrying umbrellas for me, getting my food, you know, I'm, 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 I'm there, I'm like, okay, I'm a lead actor. And a top dog. Yeah, I'm a top dog <laughs> in the movie, and the way yeah. they were talking to me, even the way they were talking to me was funny, yes. I was like, guys, please don't talk to me like that, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's cool, I'm, I'm one of you. And they're like, no, 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 it's okay, what can we get you? And I'm, don't worry, I'm one of you, it's okay, I get my own sandwich, I carry my own umbrella, <laughs> it was really, and, and even, do you know what happened, a couple of the guys that I, because I really connect with everybody, I was working with some of the guys that set up, and they were like, you're not normal, huh? you guys, actors don't normally talk to us, I was like, what do you mean actors don't talk to you, you guys are cool, I used to work behind the film set, I used to make sandwiches on behind the film set for the actors, yeah, so I used to serve them sandwiches and chocolate, I was like, you guys are cool. If without you, we don't make the film. He was like, yeah, you don't hear much of that from actors, you know? So I started to get insights into, like, this world. So anyway, that happened. Um, and then, uh, should I continue with the... Yeah. yeah, should I continue with the... So what happened just prior to that film in 2007, 2008, 2009, after being 15 years um, as a, uh, you know, sort of following the acting path. And let me just add in there, it wasn't all plain sailing and I was earning lots of money from acting. I became a professional personal trainer and, and that was fueling me. I became an entrepreneur. I tried businesses. You know, I tried selling products. I was out there, you know, self-employed, but always had this vision of being an actor. And that was driving me still. Even though I was doing carpet fitting, I'd been in a Mexican bean place, packing Mexican beans. I worked in old bars in London, serving Guinness to old men that come in in the morning. Yeah, I'll have a half a Guinness, you know. That's <laughs> like, oh, half a Guinness. I'm in there talking to them about their life, thinking, one day I'm going to be an actor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I just said, I worked as a sandwich maker behind the scenes serving Michael, Sir Michael Caine, um, Andy Serkis, who plays Gollum in um, Lord of the Rings. Actually, I, I, I spoke with Andy Serkis. He was actually a really beautiful man and, and gave me some sound advice um, at the time, which might not sound much to you, but when you're a striving actor and you just want to be supported, he one of the things he said to me, patted me on the back and said he'd been in the profession for a number of years, like 15 years or more, and he was just getting a break and he said just don't give up Sai whatever happens don't give up this industry is about sticking with it and you'll you, you know you'll get there and that was a big thing for me because I was just making the sandwiches thinking oh yeah and the circus <laughs> one day and Michael Caine I gave Michael Caine even look at me I just gave him a chocolate bar yes Michael Caine because <laughs> you know you have this the thing is yeah you build up this whole world 
like I used to watch the Oscars and the BAFTAs and, you know, I just want to be in that environment. So I was getting closer and closer. And anyway, let's fast forward. Boom, 2007, 2008, just as it's all happening. I made an independent film. I got this signed for this big movie. It's like, yes, friends that I've been known are like, this is it, this is your year. Go for it. And then bang, epiphany. <laughs> lightning strikes <laughs> lightning strikes love comes to save the day um, I just had a full on what Carl Jung if any of you listen or have read the, the works of Carl Jung would call a peak experience where all of a sudden my whole reality was flipped upside down and inside out my eyes changed my senses changed the way that I perceived the world perceived myself and maybe this was a build up I still write about this and talk about this this was potentially a build up of everything that I'd been doing I'd been reading some books I'd been acting I'd been looking at the human psyche and so on anyway I just I you could say I fell in love I met a woman I fell in love at the same time I fell in love with myself and the planet like never I'd ever experienced you had you know a you know, love can do that. It really yeah. opens our heart yeah. and suddenly you just see the world differently. I, I saw the world differently, yeah. And, and, and then from that point on, and for your listeners as well, like, I don't want anybody, everyone's always like, what happened? When was it? What moment? What did it do? Oh, I want to have that experience. No, it's not about having the experience. What happened for me is that just a huge shift in perception took place. And, you know, my heart opened, but it's like all my cells opened. I was just seeing, like, for example, small things, that, what some would call the mundane, light, reflection, um, smells. Uh, my whole life sort of flashed before me. It was not, not like a near-death experience, but just flashed before me. I was like, oh, my, wow, look at the wonder. Look at life. Look at, look at what, what we're a part of. I felt connected to everything. And I've heard this, the thing is, at the time, I had, no, I had no recollection of this, yes. I just went on this mission. Then I was like, what the hell has happened to me? I'd taken a lot of drugs previously to this point, but I'd not taken drugs for nearly, let's say, I don't remember exact, eight months or month, nine months. And the drug of my choice used to be MDMA, which was uh, pure, what they would call pure ecstasy. So I had this sensation of clubbing, taking drugs, and I knew this sort of feeling of ecstasy, you know, feeling elated, feeling present, you know, so-called feeling joyous, yeah. right? Because I've taken a lot of drugs. But that always dropped, you know. Not that I was an unhappy person. I was quite happy. Always happy. But it was chat. an experience that it came is, through the drug and it left. It came from the drug and left, right? And then and guess what? You go hunting that again next weekend, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or whatever it is. You're going to take it again, constantly seeking it. This was now, boom. It, it superseded anything that I'd had on ecstasy or smoking marijuana or anything. I was just like, I didn't need anything. I was I'm so much so that I recorded a crazy video for the woman I'd met. And I tell you what now, I don't know where that video is, but if you saw it, you'll go, this guy has lost the plot. I was like, I got you, got you, got you in my soul. I got you. I was singing this song and like for about a month. I was just highly elated. I was just happy talking to everyone. I was off. Well, you say, you, you say, you know, people would think you lost the plot. And actually in psychology, there's many people who have these they're, they're called peak experiences right. and instead of realizing that this is a spiritual awakening or this is just a shift in perception that's healthy they get um diagnosed with you know multiple exactly. personality disorder or schizophrenia etc et yeah they even get told they've got um, adhd or depression yeah. or all but actually if you look at you know the history of humanity is documented cases of these kind of experiences happening either spontaneously or through ritual through drumming through dancing exactly. through, yeah and you know even athletes you know they feel it sometimes you know they just go out there and boom something yes. connects and they're just in that state of flow yeah. and heightened awareness yeah. 
I always love talking to Yasmin. I'm sure you all love listening to her. But <laughs> she has a way of breaking it down. And, and what she just said is exactly what I uncovered. But I didn't know at the time. You know, this like, state of flow. Like, and you just said it lovely. Um, that's why I think some people become quite addictive to their sport. Because in the sport, climbing does it, right? And many different sports. I was a snowboarder, for example. And sometimes coming down the mountain and you're just so in the zone, so focused on the mountain, you know if you fall, you know, if you fall you're going to get hurt. And you're so there. When you get to the bottom, you're fully, you're elated, aren't you? Like, oh, wow, you're on this peak mountain and so on. You're in the vastness of, of, of the magnitude of this life. It's such a, it's, it's so, it's so enriching. It's probably the best word, isn't it? Yeah. It just fills you up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I was full up and, and that was, and that sort of went through peaks and troughs. And now you've had this realization and you about to become out. Right. Thank you. <laughs> and go into this crazy. Yeah, go into this crazy environment, eat meat. Oh, guess what? I had a peak experience and thought, I can't eat animals. I could, why, how, how, how can I continue to eat animals? They're amazing. They're beautiful. <laughs> like even I don't care. The pig, the cow. It was. I, I was falling in love with everything. When I say fall in love with everything, I mean everything. Like you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. It was just like, oh wow, it's just so high in a beautiful way. And so anyway, I stopped eating meat. I uh, hadn't. Of course, I wasn't. I wasn't um, taking drugs at that point. But it was like, never. It was the contemplation to take drugs or abuse my body or harm anyone. And then I had this moment where I was like. The director was like, you've got to eat raw meat because I was this Neanderthal. <laughs> and then he was like, you need to be bigger. You need to eat burgers. So on set one day in Bulgaria, he brought me in two big pieces of steak and chips. And he's like, you must eat. And I was like, ah, it's that steak. <laughs> you know, I, was like, I go, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like maybe I might be vegetarian. He's like, what do you mean? Vegeta- vegetarian? What are you, some sissy? This is my best French accent. It's like, you sissy? I was like, you English sissy kept calling me. So then I was going through this whole ego thing, you know, of like wanting to be an actor, wanting to be big, wanting to be muscular. And I'd been bodybuilding for a while as well. Also, to get this role, I had to be quite big. So I'd been going to the gym regularly because I was a personal trainer and I was pumping myself up. I was drinking these chemical protein shakes. And anyway, it just, it's weird. It was like, I even said, I phoned my mum and I said, what's happening? I've got this awesome opportunity and it's like, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like 15 years I've been wanting to be, a, you know, a full-on lead actor in this environment and it just, it's gone. The energy of it's gone. It was so weird, Yasmin. It was, it was, it was really, yeah, I, I just, I didn't know what was happening really. That's the best way to describe it. So anyway, that, I could share a number of scenarios, but there's so many little scenarios that happen. Oh, they wanted me to get drunk one night and I did get drunk one night. The, the director was like, oh, you know, when you drink, when you drink with somebody, you know, it shows respect and I just want you to have a little drink with me. Drink some wine, drink some wine. I was like, oh, I don't drink anymore. He's like, I goes, okay, I'll drink, you know, I'll have a drink with you. So I ended up drinking and, you know, got super drunk and <laughs> took him out dancing and we went out and I, I was going crazy and the next day he loved me. It was weird. It was like people need to bond through these moments and he, he was like, I knew you were crazy. <laughs> right? He said to me next day, I knew you loved well, to drink. It's very, again, the, you know, you did the jail time, you got the stripe, now you got drunk, you got the stripe from the director. Right. Again, it's, right. you know, it's something we can really go into that, you know, we how could, that and, and also, yes, you see how it was, again, it was a male figure and a sort of, so some essence, a role model as well. Yeah. And, and I was feeling, and I felt really bad after. I felt, again, I felt almost like I'd let myself down. I didn't, I didn't want to drink. Why don't I stick to it? And I'm going to tell, a quick, tell you this quick funny story that happened. We was at a restaurant. And um, he's like, 
you drink again? You drink? This was like a couple of days later. He was drinking. He was an alcoholic, basically. And, and he um, drunk pure, absolute vodka. And he's like, come, sissy. He kept calling me sissy. Yeah? <laughs> come, sissy boy. One more. One. One with me. And I was like, ah. And, and I've got these. I'm really close with the rest of the team. And there's about 20 of us at the dinner table. And Sabine, this uh, beautiful woman, she was there. And... Um, and uh, I looked over to her and I said, like, okay, go on, yeah, I'll have a shot. Send it up. And he sends up this shot. And he's like, yes, this is it. Good, good. And then I, I, I go, okay, let's do this. One, two. And then I, I put my head down because I'm quite a good actor, if I do say so myself. <laughs> right? And I put my head down, put the glass to the thing. And then as I go back with my head, people can't see me. But as I go back around, I just launched it behind me. <laughs> and it, went, it went in the flower, the flower behind me in the restaurant. And um, uh, Sabine and another one saw, and they just looked at me and winked. And, and then he looked up and went, ah, called me. And I looked at him and went, <laughs> Anyway, I'm digressing slightly, but it was just that moment of like, God, I'm getting so challenged. I just want to, I want to go another way. It was this thing of going another way, Yasmin. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to just lie. I'm going to blag this, you know, because I'm not drinking absolute vodka tonight. Anyway. But again, you know, this is something, you know, when you make this commitment to live your life transparently and authentic, there's all this pressure from these people around you. Right. And at the end of the day, there's people that you love and you yes. want to connect to and belong with. I mean, I had a very similar experience when I stopped smoking. You know, all my friendships were based on rolling a joint together, smoking, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it was so hard because it's like I wasn't just stopping the smoking. I was saying no to my friendships, to my way of socializing. And that was what was yes. actually keeping yes. the addiction together because I had already decided this is not for me. Yes. But that was the thing that was just keeping me enslaved. Yeah. And so, I think that's, a, that's a, I think for people listening and for us, that's beautiful. I even feel that as you're saying to me. I'm, I have a feeling in my stomach as you said that to me as a, as a memory. Yeah. Of like, like, you know you want to do something. You know in your heart of hearts it feels right. And there's so many outer pulls that are trying to pull you the other yeah. way. And actually, maybe because you talk a lot about this in your beautiful talk on the hero's journey. But I guess that's the also part of it, right? Yeah. We're given these little moments of like, how, how much do you want this? Yeah. You have to be really challenged, yeah. you know, to kind of awaken that real desire in you that you're going to say no, even to all of these, you know, things that create uncomfort and pain. And we were talking about this in the car on the way over here, you know, as humans, we all need to belong and we need to connect. Mm -hmm. It's just there's this, you sort of come to this point where you need to find a new tribe or a new way of, a new system to belong to. But there's this kind of black pit in the middle where you're not in either one. And it's, it's so painful. Yeah. And yeah. you do have to have, you know, a real sort of commitment to, yeah, to crossing yeah that. you have to trust that the light is in the bend of the tunnel yeah and i say in the bends of the tunnel because you don't even really see the end of the tunnel you know you've got to see the light in the bends of the tunnel and i love that you brought that up actually yasmin because there is this sort of sense of void moments where you don't really know who you are who your friends are what you're about and you just got to keep trusting your own navigating system you know you have to trust and actually that that leads in beautifully to um you know, love would, I would say this, it might sound a little bit, you know, spiritual or airy fairy for some people listening, but really love led the way for me. And love really just, I just trusted, I surrendered to this force that was now, I was now plugged into and connected to. And, and I, asked, I asked myself a question and I said, 
I went on a quest, like, you know, Yasmin uh, introduced me to many beautiful people since I've known her, and, and I mean, even, like, authors like um, Joseph Campbell and The Hero's Journey, but I went on a bit of a quest. I was like, I, I need to find out. Is there anybody else out there having this experiences? <laughs> you know, who's out there? Or what, is, there anybody, is there books on, you know? And I, I read a few books, and, I, you know, I was into positive thinking, and, and of course, you know, I, I knew a few people, and I just want to name a few books for you, but um, there was Jeff Thompson. I read a few books. One of them was Fear, the Friend of Excel exceptional people i read another book by tom hartman t-h-o-m-m hartman the last hours of ancient sunlight i started to look at eckhart tolle the power of now and, and i started to go okay th- like books were coming to me from different messengers and people were like i oh, know you might like this and i was like oh yeah i'll read that and i was on this exploration but then i, th- I this is a really key point and i found out okay there are other people talking about love and there's this whole world but then i was like but who's speaking truth this was a key moment. I was like, if I want to know truth, I have to speak truth. If I don't want to see lies in the world, if I don't want to see other people lying to me and I don't want to lie anymore, I have to stop lying. So this took me on a big, deep inward journey of where I'd been lying in my life and where I'm still lying. But now I think I want to just say that not only the acting world, the industries, the monetary system, the, all of that started to, I started to realise, wow, this is all based on lies. But then I went into this, let's say, sort of self-development, self-help, spiritual circle, where I thought, yeah, you know, found the tribe. I was like, oh, easy, tread carefully here, <laughs> you know, because guess what? People were not being transparent. They were still caught in the marketing side of things and selling the product and putting the price tag on the divine. And you can't put a price tag on the divine. The divine is the divine. It's, it's there. It's abundant. It's there for all of us. It's, the love is within us and within every, everything that we see from that place. So I don't know if that's, that really led me up to the last, let's say the last 10 years where I went on a quest of love and, uh, you know, it was the burglar to Buddha, a journey from fear to love. And then I started to really, um, I had this vision to, I got to share this with everyone, yes. It was like, it's a bit, I'm going to say this for those that maybe have taken drugs or any good experience that you've had in life, you have it, even if it's a roller coaster. You call your friends, don't you? <laughs> oh my God, you could, you could try out that roller coaster. It was amazing. Oh God, it was so good. And even if somebody hears it, and they don't even like roller coasters, right? They might be like, oh yeah, that, might, that sounds quite good, yeah. Because you, you want to share the goodness in life. You want to share love. You want to share it. So I went on a mission to share it. But again, little did I know, people don't necessarily want to hear what you've got to say. <laughs> so I'm like, you've got to check this out, check this documentary, it's all love, it's all love. And I was like, man, this guy, was he coming from the 60s? Swinging hippie all of a sudden. Is he talking about love all the time? Doesn't want to be an actor, he doesn't want to do this, he doesn't want to eat me. Who, they didn't know who I was. And then, so that really took me on this mission. And thankfully I found Yasmin, probably the only friend I have now. But... <laughs> So I just want to take it back a little Please. bit because, you know, I obviously re- we resonate so much with this idea of transparency and living truth and the challenges that that comes with. You know, you were saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of lack of truth even within, you know, self-help, spirituality, religion, you know, in every domain of human society, you're going to find lies because at the end of the day, it's just much easier to lie than to tell the truth. Um, but I think uh, what I often find is that we don't really realize the lies that we're telling, even within ourselves. You kind of hear like, oh, liar, you know, criminality. Oh, that's not me. Like, I don't lie. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And I think it's so subtle. Like, you have to be really quite reflective with yourself to just start finding these little white lies that you're telling yourself. Even just things like, 
oh, I can't do it, or, you know, just so many little even, subtle even, ones. Yeah, even, I'm, even when you look in the mirror, you, 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 you look in the mirror and you look at yourself and you think you're okay, but you can hear the voice yeah. in your head say, I'm ugly, yeah. or I'm fat, yeah. or I'm unworthy. Or I'm happy in that job. No, yeah. really, just one more year, yeah. or, or whatever it is. Yeah, this relation's great. Oh, he doesn't really treat me, or she doesn't really treat me the way I want to be treated, but they mean well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that sort of scenario. I, maybe for, again... For this conversation, I just knew that I, I made a choice that I no longer want to lie again. Now, that wasn't the easiest choice to make. It didn't mean that I just stopped lying from that point on. What it did is exactly what Yasmin just pointed out, is it, it made me become reflective of the words that I speak. And that every word has a power and an energy. And that if I'm going to say something, does my actions and does my... Um, my uh, intentions align to that yeah the, the, does the, are they aligned and actually that's that's as I've become more of a uh, I went on a mission to share this and do workshops and events and and and, and go on this journey what guess what I found uh, you know you, you you might be ready to know the answer to this but what was the thing that was stopping everybody including myself at the beginning and everybody else I'd met along the way to speak their truth I would ask you, you probably know anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what was the thing that I kept Well, I mean, up? I mean, the, the thing that comes up for me is just like fear and, and a, right. a sort of a fear of losing love and, and acceptance. Right. Exactly. So fear again. Yeah. So then I was noticing this pattern. I thought, okay, fear was with me when I was a criminal and fear was with me as younger because I had fear of, you know, survival and everything we've spoken about. And then I was like, fear to leave a tribe, fear. Fear was driving that again. And I was like, okay. Then I got into the acting world or new professions. Fear to study to become a personal trainer. And I was like, fear that I'm not going. I'm not going to pass the exams. Fear that I'm not going to be good at the job. You know, the acting. Fear I'm not going to get enough work. Fear I'm not going to make enough money. And I started to just notice this complete cycle of fear that was running through. You could say, sort of like the the the, the veins of our being as 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 uh, human psychological beings here. And so then I needed to understand fear on another level and realise that, okay, there's different types of fear. So there's the, there's, the, there's the survival mechanism that we all need. If we hear a big sound right now, like a bomb's going to land in, in this studio, we're probably going to run or hide or get under the table or go outside and look at what that noise is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a safety mechanism that we all need. It's a, animal instinct. I don't like to always say we're animals because I don't like it when... You know, humans say, oh, well, we're just animals, it's okay, we just, like, kill people and eat people. It's like, I don't really go with that. But what I mean is that we have natural instincts, one of those being a survival mechanism, fight or flight. So that was cool. I started to study that a bit more. And then I realised, okay, then we've got these psychological fears. And I would say that fear means this now, false evidence appearing real. Unless there is a real fear, like a tiger at your door, or, <laughs> yeah, not that a tiger knocks your door, you're like, oh my God, there's that tiger at my door again. <laughs> and, you know, a tiger's chasing you, a car's going to come close to you, driving down the road, there's an accident, whatever. There's a natural fear. If that's not there in your life, there's no other fear. It's all psychological made up from the past, from stories, from anxieties, from beliefs, from concepts, from films we've watched. It's all made up. None of it is actually real. It's all in the, it's all in the, the psyche. So this really changed my way of engaging, engaging myself and so on. And, and the other thing that I found, which is what I now call transparent communication, 
is that whenever I spoke and created these safe circles for people to communicate and just asked people what they're thinking and feeling, literally just what you're thinking and feeling, they would very, be very scared to say what they were truly thinking and feeling. And when we broke that down and we dived deeper and we got into people's to actually be safe, to feel safe enough to share it, what they were thinking and feeling wasn't even bad or wrong or, or scary or was, wasn't going to offend anybody. But they'd created in their head that I can't share what I really truly want to say or what I'm thinking and feeling. So as I started to work with people one-to-one and in these environments, I started to realise that transparent communication is just being safe, feeling safe enough to say what you are thinking and feeling and know that what you're thinking and feeling doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Yeah? So, but we can, we can share that with each other. Um, does that make sense? So, yeah? For sure. I mean, I find it really fascinating because... Us as humans, we don't want to connect to perfect people. What connects us to each other is the messy size Brené Brown said. It's the, the mess in between, you know, it's the vulnerability when people, as soon as someone says like, oh, I'm feeling this, you feel compassion, you feel connected to them. If they're perfect and they're great, it's much actually difficult to connect. But we don't want to share our vulnerability for fear of connection yes. when vulnerability is what brings us connection. Right. And we don't want to share our so-called imperfections, and I say so-called imperfections, because we've projected into our belief system, and just for people listening, all belief systems are actually BS, <laughs> yeah? Belief systems, right? Exactly. So the key is that even our belief systems need to be inquired into and checked into and what, what are actually driving our emotions, driving our behaviours and our um, uh, personality traits and, and our moods, Right? They're all coming from past survival emotions that are actually based in the past. So guess what we're doing? We're living out our past over and over again because we can't actually communicate what's happening for us in this present moment. But if we showed up transparently and said what we were actually thinking and feeling, guess what? We'd actually get our needs met. We'd actually be able to communicate with people on a much deeper level than this superficial stuff of like, how's the weather and, oh, that's a nice top you're wearing. But it's like, what's going on for you right now? What's alive in you in this moment? And that's always changing. So this form of what I call transparent communication, authentic communication, if you will, really became the basis of, of now what I, what I live by. It's what I'm interested in. It's about, um, you know, looking at drama, looking at fear, looking at safety, looking at how we personalize and we assume and we have, you know, so many judgments, expectations and conditions on ourselves. And we look at core unworthiness and how we all have this inbuilt sense that we're unworthy and that we're not magnificent, we're not miracles. These are all just beliefs. And when we shift those beliefs and start to, as I know you know this, Yasmin's here nodding, she knows this, this is what we do with Yasmin's team and, and many other uh, people that we've met, is we just invite them to question, you know, if what they're believing and if what they're saying and, and, and how they're uh, thinking, if that's their truth, right? Because we don't know. I don't want to say, hey, you're not living your truth. Ask the question, who are you? Is this what you want to do? Is this relationship what you want? Is this the job you want? You know? I mean, you know, this is so powerful, I believe, because funnily enough, we find it difficult to um, communicate our truth to others. But actually, that all stems from a fear of our own emotions. Like, I see this, you know, within myself and with many of the people um, that I work with as well. Some of the emotions that we feel inside, you know, the fear, the guilt, the shame, we don't want to feel them. 
And we're, you know, the generation is why we have high levels of anxiety because we're very good at numbing, you know. This is, again, the drugs, the even just like the, the series on the TV. Yes. Yes, let's, let's, let's watch a series and go through emotion through someone else's life yes. instead of actually feeling comfortable to bring up the feelings within our within our seven this is why people are so addicted to watching series yes. especially it's yeah. a real problem of our generation yeah. because Food as well computer games as we know yeah everything and i think it's so powerful to be able to get that as a skill and i always say this because we, we do a lot of work in the grassy hopper on this because i'm always encouraging people to to learn this skill and at the end of the day it's this one skill that you will take wherever wherever you go, whatever you do, as soon as you're connected to yourself and can really have that emotional dexterity, um, then it's like these ripple effects on everything else that you do. There's yes. this vein of authenticity yes. and connection and yeah. purpose, and it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I think maybe what I'd like to ask you, Sai, is, is to maybe talk a little bit about the exercises and the changes that you made in your life that kind of flip this fear because okay you see the fear and you're like okay I'm you know maybe acting I'm doing this and that and the other and they're coming from a fear-based place but then you know there's there's a whole load of stuff that needs to go into transmuting that yes. I mean reflection and understanding is you know big yeah. part of it and even just accepting that yeah it's amazing so forgiveness um, personal forgiveness was a big one so I had to accept and forgive myself for the actions that I'd made that was uh, huge. And also looking at my past actions and the lies that I told with more awareness and um, loving eyes into why I was actually functioning from that place. So rather than just judging myself and putting myself down and having this shame and blame and so on, it was like really looking at it with the, with the eyes of, of love and forgiveness and then seeing how actually as much as I'd caused um, some pain along the way I'd also caused a lot of joy yeah I could see that within that I was always striving to be a better person and, and be joyful so one of the things I, I had to do was own my past and, one, and what I often say to people in a workshop that I do is called you're not your story and it's about owning your past story um, accepting it forgiving it and letting it go and it wasn't until I could start speaking to people and telling them about some of the stuff I've shared with you all today that I could, it, it doesn't, like I'm sharing it now as a point of transformation. It's no longer with me. It doesn't matter. Like nobody, I, I live so transparently clear that nobody can say anything to me that I'm either not willing to own or I can just say, yeah, that happened. It, it, it's, like, it's such a, there's such an ownership in, in authentically um, and transparently expressing yourself. So practices that I, um, one that was super powerful and I would invite anybody to start this was called Morning Pages. Now Morning Pages is writing three pages of um, A4, A4 paper, and you write literally stream of consciousness. And when I say Morning Pages, it's invited that you write it first thing in the morning, but it also has a little two sides to it. Morning as in M-O-U-R. N-I-N-G. You are literally releasing what needs to die on the page. Yeah? What you can just let go of. It might be stuff that you're thinking about yourself. It, whatever comes through. What you need to say, do. What it, it's like getting out the brain noise, the dump, the toxicity. And, and, and actually, some joys, good stuff. Whatever comes out, it's, it's totally welcome. 
with this process I did for six years and I still do it today. I've been doing it for nearly, that would be nearly 20 years now, but I did it for six years straight. I've got journals after journals, you know, it's, um, and it was such a powerful practice that it enabled me to write the book that I'm writing now because it enabled me to make peace with myself. It enabled me to connect to my own wisdom and insights enabled me to connect to my true voice. It was like me talking and being with me on the page every day. I was like my best friend. You know, it was like I was getting to know myself through the page. It's such a profound, profound exercise. It's so simple and so profound. And I just listened to a video just the other day by Timothy Ferris and Chase Jarvis, two uh, quite huge entrepreneurs in, in, the, in the entrepreneurial world. And Timothy Ferris has just created a book where he's interviewed 200 very successful CEOs, big, you know, big, big successful people in the world on all levels. Yeah, not just financially, but on all levels. And I've, I can't remember how, how high the percentage was, but it was a vast high percentage that they had three things in common. They all had a writing practice of some kind in the morning, whether that be uh, three pages and morning pages. A lot of them mentioned morning pages, but it was a writing practice of guys. They all had a mindfulness practice of some kind in the morning, whether that be sit for 10 minutes in silence or do something that you know, connects you in that way. And they, and they all had a, um, a practice where they detached from you know, anything outside of themselves, like computer and all this other stuff. They really connected to themselves. And, and he called it, um, I called it the golden hour, but he, he called it um, something else. Win the day, that was what it's called. They would win the day. They would win the day by the way that they set up their day in the morning. Yeah. I don't know, that digresses a bit from the practices on just speaking truth, but no, that I does mean, help. I mean, this is, you know, these three practices sum it up perfectly. And for those who haven't heard morning pages before, morning pages... I mean, it's an ancient practice, but it's also come from a book called The Artist's Way. And this is a book very popular with people who are creative or artistic or trying to bring out anything from within. Because, as you said, you know, all this brain noise is blocking our real creativity and our real And our true voice. And and actually, and and just to maybe just to add to that, Yasmin, it's not just for those artistic. We're all artists. Exactly. Yeah, we're all artists. It's actually to ignite the artist within. And the artist within doesn't mean that you need to think, oh, am I going to be Picasso? Can I paint? No, this is about you. Your life is your art. I mean, I got tingles when I said that. I love that. <laughs> because, you know, let's think about the grassy hopper. We're talking about culture, lifestyle, um, how we live, how we walk, how we breathe, how we speak, how we show up, influences the whole field of, you know, our community, our culture, out into the greater world, right? So if we're that powerful with the way that we act, don't you think that you want to start speaking your truth and start expressing your your uniqueness and your artistic expression in whatever that means and stop putting up with, you know, listening to other people's noise and lies, you know, holding back what we really want to say when we just want to say it. And one thing I always say to people is that if on your deathbed there is a conversation, a courageous conversation that you have not had yet, then ask yourself why. Do not die and leave this body because as death is another conversation. We could do a whole podcast <laughs> because, you know, my views on death are very, quite uh, different to many others. But the moment you leave this body, whether you go to somewhere else or not, please, my invitation to you, don't die with your truth inside you. You know, the richest place in the world is the, is the morgue, is the graveyard. You know why? 
because everyone has died with their art inside them. They've died with their riches inside them. They've died with the things that they didn't say inside them. Please, if you listen to this podcast, wherever you are, one person gets this seed. Live your truth. Speak your truth. Be it now. And, you know, trust me, you will not regret it. Yes, like Yasmin and I have said, you might lose a few friends. You don't lose friends. No, I'm not going to use that word. You don't lose friends. You gain immensely, immeasurably, yes. It's off the scale. I wish people could see your hand movements right now. (laughs) (laughs) Do I get excited? (laughs) You got a little bit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, that's beautiful because, you know, this this is the product of doing these things. And for many people, they're trying to, you know, break out of old habits, but they haven't quite felt the aliveness, the richness, the joy and the ecstasy that you get from the creativity yeah. of making your art without all of this noise. Yeah. And I'm high right now. <laughs> You're always high, Sai. I've never, I've never seen you not high. <laughs> uh, but, but, no, but, I, Yasmin, I love always, you know, what you say and, and the richness that you've brought to my life, right? So I just want to acknowledge you on this because if you haven't experienced the joy, then what you can do, and maybe as a listener, you think, oh, I'm not experiencing it, I'm not experiencing it. And I'm saying there's a fast route. There's a fast route. Stop lying to yourself. Done deal. I don't care whether you do morning pages, read another 50 books, become somebody, you don't need money. You are it already. Stop. And the invitation is stop lying to yourself. You are magnificent. You are, you are enough. You are a miracle. You are a unique expression of divine force. And I'm not here giving you some woohoo. Come and meet me. I'm who I am now as I am everywhere. You are it. There has never been another expression of life as you. What more do you need to pat yourself on the back to go, oh my Lord, I am worth, I am, I am amazing. I'm contributing here. I'm just by being me, I'm enough. That's, I mean, that for me is that. It buzzes me so much that when I've seen the eyes of somebody who actually gets that and allows all the other story and identity and all that, you call it toxicity, to drop away, the feeling, Yasmin, the, the elation that I get, and just the, the tears, the tears I've cried, but just seeing somebody else realise that they don't have to be or do anything more to already realise that they're a magnificent being. That's just... That's it for me. <laughs> That's your ecstasy, the new yeah, ecstasy. Yeah. <laughs> it's free and you don't get a come down. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sai, I mean, we've touched on a lot. I always end this podcast yes. by asking people okay. what it means to live a nourished life. And obviously you've just, you've, just, you've just nailed it right there. But I don't know if anything else comes to mind. Um, before you say that, you know, mm. when you were just saying your, your last things, we, we are, you know, we are magnificent, we are miracles. You know, it's... In a way, sometimes it's harder to accept that than to accept the shadow. Yes, beautiful. You know, not, not with everyone, but some of us, you know, we're, we're almost too happy to see the negative. Oh, I'm mm. not good enough. I'm the thief. I'm the this. I'm the that. And actually being seen is so scary. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I just wanted to just highlight that. I don't know if it yeah. gives you any inspiration to, to it, kind of yeah, end Yeah, instantly this. I've got something fully, you know, uh, uh, pulsating through me is that if we take on board that you're already whole, but you can't experience that wholeness if you don't integrate both the darkness and the light. If you don't own all that you are and communicate from that place, you can't really tap into the wholeness of who you are. 
And many people might think they're happy and they're great and they're doing wonderful things in the world and so on. But who are they when they are naked in the bath? Who? What is the um, what is the repetitive voice communicating to you when you're on your own? If you can tap into that space, if you can find silence and meditate and sit to just listen to yourself, if you can become your best friend, if you can become, if you can fall in love with yourself fully, trust me, your actions, they, they will be taken over by that, that love of self. So, so let's say that transparent communication is a self-loving act and a self-loving act is communicating truthfully to yourself. So I would probably say that. You love yourself, you can communicate your truth regardless of what it takes. And if you communicate your truth, wow, the love for yourself, you're just, you're never going to need another being to fulfill you. And then you'll share your wholeness and your fullness with the world. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sai. You also have a, have a gift of bringing some wisdom into some very good nuggets. <laughs> I also just want to let everyone know that um, you can find out more about Simon's work through through Facebook. Simon's always sharing little nuggets of wisdom. And, and what he shares is not just like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to share that quote. It's, it's, it comes from a very reflective place of what he's going through in his own life. And, and that's what makes it, I feel, so powerful. And also you've got your retreats, your website... Um, maybe maybe you should say that because <laughs> no I, I, I yeah of course you can maybe just um, <clears throat> I just use my profile page on uh, Facebook which is just Simon Paul Sutton if you want to uh, look at some of the things we share there and um, the website at the moment is the retreat that I do which is actually called Naked the Retreat and. And that scares some people in Malta, the whole idea of nakedness. But nakedness for me is beyond nudity. Nudity is easy, but living naked is about living real, living transparent, living your truth, living your wildest dream, daring to be great and, and diving into the abyss. And I call it the abyss. Listen to that, not the abyss. You dive into the void. You dive into that spaciousness of who you are. And there is only bliss. And that's really the invitation of, of all the work we do. And uh, yeah. And, and also, you know what? You don't even need to watch my stuff, listen to it, nothing. You need to go inside you. You. Go inside you and we'll meet somewhere in the field. <laughs> awesome. We'll end there. Thank you so much, Sai. And uh, I just want to end with just saying that I'm very, very grateful for all of the wisdom that you've brought into our Grassy Hopper culture. Simon has been, since since before Grassy Hopper even started, supporting our team. We create workshops together where we're trying to give these experiences to the team because we believe that you know, Grassy Hopper is trying to serve a wider mission. And if we as individuals in our team um, are still carrying a lot of this burden and a lot of the, the blockages that block our ability to serve the community, um, then, then we really feel a responsibility to work on that and, and move towards greater mm. levels of creativity and joy and, and service to the community. So, Sai, and, is, and isn't that beautiful? Yeah, isn't that beautiful that sometimes people come into the cafe and, of course, it seems like a cafe because that's what it may, may look like. But it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's not really a cafe. <laughs> oh, all along, you've been looking at the wrong thing. It, it's, it really is a community. It really is a community. And whether people stay for, you know, a, a few months or they, they, they do the longer journey, it's, it really is a community. And I know we're not just here saying this, but Yasmin, what she's doing in Malta, 
And really, what Yasmin's doing in Malta inspires me because I'm reading about these people doing this around the world and I know it's rare in Malta. So that's why I support it. It's because I want to support, you know, those those new ideas. Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, it's, it's a, obviously we spoke about this in the last podcast with Maria because Maria is also, yes. you know, she's creating a farm, trying to do it consciously. And, and actually, funnily enough, the conscious product is a lot easier than conscious people. You know, you can choose compostable packaging, you've made the choice, you paid the money, you got the packaging and, and that's it. But we as people, we struggle so much to live truthfully and consciously and happily that actually all of the challenging conscious business is us as people and our journey towards um, a more purposeful and authentic and nourished life. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you. (laughs) Thank you you everyone for listening. I hope as always that you got a little bit of inspiration uh, from this conversation. We will be bringing you, of course, more. And originally I committed to do once a month podcast, but I'm so inspired that it's it's happening more frequently. And also a big thank you to Music Playground and the lovely Julian behind the mic who's producing this show. And if you have any people in your life who really inspire inspire you, who you feel this message needs to be heard by others, then please do send us your recommendations because, you know, there's there's such a beauty in people sharing their story. And this is, again, why I invited Simon here. We can talk, you know, philosophically about, you know, light and dark and, and truth and whatnot. But when it's our story as a human being and we've gone through that challenge and we're actually embodying the result of these experiences, that, that is what is so powerful. So thanks again, and we will see you soon for the next episode. Produced by Monochrome Keys. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!